Bulletproof Radio, a state of high performance. You're listening to Bulletproof Radio with Dave Asprey. Today's cool fact of the day is that people who are fully paralyzed are now using brain implants with off-the-shelf tablet computers in order to send text messages and surf the internet, which is completely life-changing because before that, all you had was maybe a twitch of your eye or a movement of your tongue the way Stephen Hawking did. This is game-changing because what's going to happen in five years when we can get that same signal from the surface of your scalp without having to stick electrodes inside your brain? You could pretty easily scramble your eggs by sticking things into your head. We're probably not going to do that for many, many years, if ever. I don't think it's going to be necessary. But the fact that this is already happening is a precursor to the world that's coming where you don't have to hold your phone up to look at your face because it's already able to read your mind. This is going to accelerate things way more than we have today, and I'm excited to see it as long as I have a good firewall for my brain. When you hear someone talk about blood sugar, you might zone out. That's because a lot of us think that it's only relevant to people with type 2 diabetes. But blood sugar is a topic that everyone should understand. If you want to feel good and have energy, you need to balance your blood sugar. Research shows that even healthy people have wild swings in their blood sugar right after they eat, and spikes in blood sugar make your pancreas work harder. They also make you older, and they put you at a greater risk for weight gain, heart attack, and stroke. Here's why I'm talking about this. Bioptimizers has a new product called Blood Sugar Breakthrough. You take two capsules 15 minutes before a meal. Your body will push carbs and glucose into your muscles for use as fuel instead of fat. That means you get stable energy and you don't have that post-meal crash. Better yet, you can improve your workouts and get better gains at the gym. But the biggest benefit is that it'll improve your overall health. Just go to bloodsugarbreakthrough.health Dave for an exclusive 10% off. For 25 years, I've had a strong passion for understanding the science behind why we age and what we can do about it. One of the most groundbreaking discoveries in the last two decades is senolytics. Senolytics are plant-derived or pharmaceutical ingredients that can help your body drop old, worn-out cells. Scientists call them senescent cells, and in my books, I call them zombie cells. As you age, those senescent cells build up in your body. They live for a long time, and they eat up your energy. There is a hack for this. It's called Qualia Senolytic. Your podcast sponsor, Neurohacker Collective, created Qualia Senolytic. It eliminates those zombie cells and has a clinical study that supports its effectiveness. I really felt a difference in how my body moved after just a couple months on Qualia Synolytic. It's upped my energy level even more and my joints feel really good. If you're over 30 and you want to use a clinically tested formula to help you feel younger, try Qualia Synolytic. To get younger now, visit neurohacker.com Dave and try it risk-free for up to 100 days. Use code Dave at checkout to get 15%. That's neurohacker.com slash Dave. Use code Dave. Today's guest is not an expert in neural implants. And I know you thought I was going to go there, didn't you? He is a dear friend. It's the third time he's been on Bulletproof Radio. And one of the top experts in the world on human performance. The other two times that Brendan Burchard was on the show, we talked about high performance, but he hadn't done what I might call his opus, if it wasn't Motivation Manifesto, his new book, which is called High Performance Habits. Because Brendan and I think a lot about, like, how do you kick ass? 
at the things you do in life. And he went out and interviewed a lot of people, had a survey, and really did a structured technique to figure out what do people who just do amazing things do every day to make themselves better. Now, you might know that we care about similar things because I did a similar thing in Game Changers based on Bulletproof Radio. And we came up with some similar and also some different results. And I want you guys to learn from Brendan the same way I do. I, I learn a lot from Brendan about what, what you can do to perform really well. And I'm going to tell you right now that if you want to read a book that's going to absolutely change how you show up in the world, you should read High Performance Habits, which is Brendan's book. And because you're going to love that book, I also know you're going to love Game Changers. And yes, Brendan's in Game Changers. But here's the deal. You listen to this show because you want to get something in every one of these interviews that's going to make you a little bit better of a human being, better at doing what matters most to you. And this is a man who can tell you more about that and who has helped majorly successful executives, celebrities, and professional athletes even show up better. So I'm going to pick his brain. You're going to get to listen in, and we're all going to walk away enriched and knowing how to kick more ass. Love it. Welcome to the show, my friend. Thanks, man. What you're saying is like, we care about similar things. We write about similar things. Yeah. So I was like, yeah, but in Game Changers, you wrote about sex. If I'd put that in my book, I think I would have sold another 100,000 copies. Well, so. if we could get you some <laughs> testosterone, you might start caring more about sex. That's true. <laughs> maybe, maybe I'm just lacking there, but uh, I think that is a good differentiator of what you do with biohacking yeah. That really makes a difference. So anyway, I love your book and I'm pumped to be here. There's a biochemical difference here. I think you're focused a little bit more on habits. Yeah. But you do cover some things that I don't and actually focus less on habits and game changers. There are some very important habits that, that boiled out of the research here. But you talk about a loop that that is not in the body of work that I've done that I found really fascinating. I heard you talk about it at JJ Virgin's event. And JJ Virgin's also been a guest on the show. Yes, she's awesome. And... Share with people listening this loop that you've identified and how people who perform really well use it in their daily performance. Yeah, we call it the confidence competence loop. It's like if you're lacking confidence, then you don't feel like learning, so you don't get competent. And if you're not competent, then you don't feel like you're able to actually go do anything. And so there's this weird thing that happens if you develop a little more competence, so you learn a little bit more, you're a little more confident. If you're a little more confident, you try a little bit more. Yeah. If you try a little bit more, by trial and error, you learn more. So the more competent you get, the more confident you get. And so it just goes like this. So we're always telling people, like, learn. Part of the reason I'm passionate about Bulletproof Radio is, like, you're teaching people how to improve their lives. You're giving them new things, new ideas, new tools. And if they put them into play, they get a little more confident. And when you're a little more confident, you try more things. When you try more things, you learn more things, and you're on your path to mastery. I think what happens for a lot of people, though, is naturally we all have a lot of self-doubt. And we have a lot of fear. And so when our confidence is low, we tend to not learn as much. And when we don't learn as much, we start pulling back because we don't think we're capable. That's where people go, I'm not enough. I'm not smart enough. I, you know, I don't really get it. And so they don't try anymore. And mm -hmm. if you're not trying, you're never going to reach high levels of performance. You can't get mastery without this trial and error process. So one of the things we learned from high performers was like, they kind of mastered that. Their confidence is genuine because it came from competence. Okay. And their competence was also sort of accelerated because they had confidence going in. Like if I enter any situation, I'm like, I'm going to learn this. I'm going to figure this out. Like I believe in my ability to figure things out. When people say, well, Brendan, what's confidence? I go, confidence is really your belief in your ability to figure things out. And if I believe in my ability to figure things out, I'm gonna try way more things and I'll advance faster. 
Isn't it kind of a chicken and egg thing though? I mean, you're yeah. coaching some people at, at exceptional levels of performance, but you also have hundreds of thousands of people who've been through your training courses online. They've been to your events. I mean, I've been to your events and you've got people from all walks of life. These kind of extreme performers, are they still dealing with that confidence problem? Yes. Okay. Yes, because here's when I meet them. Okay. Now, right. does, on their best day when they're walking down the street and they you know, got all the money in the bank and they're rich and famous, successful, are they lacking confidence? Not per se. They still believe in their ability to figure things out. But when I get to brought in to train Oprah and her team, mm -hmm. these are incredibly confident, competent people. Or when I get trained, like Usher hires me to come out, fly across the country and work with him. Why? Because the one thing that high performers almost always have is this moment in their life when they're in transition. Mm -hmm. They're starting something new. They're trying something new. And when you go to do something new or something big or something game-changing, you used to call it, <laughs> that brings up a lot of nerves. That okay. brings up the old stuff. That brings up the concern. Are these strategies we've ran over here, are they going to work over here? Because take any person in the world, but put them in a moment of transition or chaos, the self-doubt increases. And we live in a world where there's chaos and transition all the time now. And so my seminars, I'll ask the audience, I'll say, listen, let me test to see whether or not I know my audience. If you would say in the last six months, you're kind of in a state of transition in your life. Maybe you're changing jobs or the kids are leaving the house or you're going from paleo to keto, you know? Like right. if, if you feel like in the last six months you're in a moment of transition, would you please stand up? My entire audience stands up. Wow. People who are in personal development, and I mean like really in it, like in self-improvement game, they can recognize they're always transitioning because they're transitioning between habits, between mindsets, they achieve goal one, they climb mountain one, but they're on to mountain number two. I call it circle one and circle two, right? In circle one, we have confidence, we have competence, we got to figure it out. We know the strategies, the habits, we, we know what made us successful. But as soon as you go to circle two, wide open field of possibility, something you don't know, you're just like everyone else who walks into school your first day of high school going, how's this going to go? Even if you're already successful, it doesn't mean that you don't have confidence. It's just that you're not as confident. And the weird thing with high performers is if they feel not as confident, that affects their performance. Now, to the general public, it looks like they have an 8 out of 10 level of confidence. All right? the time. They're like, right. amazing. But if I have 8 out of 10 confidence, everyone says, Brandon, God, he's amazing. He has 8 out of 10 confidence. What a, unbelievable. But if I got to have 9 and I'm at 8, that brings up stuff. And that's a 50% change of that little two that you had left. So yeah. it's a big shift. Yeah. Okay. And so I think what people underappreciate in our field, in personal development, high performance coaching, in anyone who's trying to help develop people, is they they think that because a person has confidence in one context, of course they're going to have confidence over here equally. And it's not true. Switch somebody out of context. I mean, take a person who's really confident, they're happy, they get divorced. Same person the next week. Completely rocked your same world. Job, yeah. Same job, same, but they're rocked because their context change. And my job in my career is often helping people manage that transition better. Like what habits matter now? What mindset matters now? Not what strategies worked in circle one, what strategies are gonna work in circle two? And so high performance mm -hmm. habits was a lot of trying to understand like what habits made the greatest difference for people as they were attempting to do what you call like achieve big things. Right. Not, what, not just what makes you happy. We measured... How do we know if a person achieves long-term success? And one of the easiest indicators is how do they handle transitions? Mm. Does long-term success make you happy? Yes. 
if it's called high performance. <laughs> okay, okay, what does that mean? It, high performance, the way we measure high performance, and we did the world's largest academic study still ever done today. Um, over 2 million data points, 300 in-depth structured scientific interviews, 190 countries in the academic surveys, the structured wow. surveys. Major effort, three years of my life, which was hard because I'm a kid from Butte, Montana, and I was like, the academics were killing. I just I like, we, can we, we finish talked, this yeah. project, please? <laughs> it, was, it was brutal, and I learned so much, uh, and I learned a lot of things that changed my life. Mm. Because I thought I, I was a high-performance guy. I've been training on this, you know, for 13 years now. I thought I knew a lot. And then you do the data, you do the research, and you go, oh, there's a lot that I didn't know. One thing I love that we learned about high performers, you can't become a high performer and achieve long-term success unless you also maintain positive well-being and relationships. Right. So most people think to achieve long-term success, I'm going to have to compromise on my marriage, on my family time, I'm gonna have to compromise on my health. And they really think that this that it has to be that way. They're like, I'm gonna have to throw out my work-life balance completely. I'm gonna have to destroy my life to climb this ladder. And we found out that's not true. You can't maintain success over the long term if your body's wrecked, mm -hmm. if everyone around you hates you. Like it just, it literally is impossible. Could it happen for one out of a million people? Maybe, but they're miserable, which is like, who wants that? I mean, Gary Vee's been on Bulletproof Radio. Yeah. And I mean, he's famous for saying, you know, eat whatever uh, ramen or something uh, for, for 18 months and then eat caviar for the rest of your life sort of thing. And there's sort of this lean in Sheryl Sandberg. You got to just like kill it and, and that you focus on that. But it seems like they're talking about doing it for a brief period of time. Yeah. Is that what the people you talked to, is that how they got started? Or did they somehow manage to achieve this balance where even as they were getting started, they had support from their community, they had the relationships in their lives? They evolved into that. Okay. I think a lot of people like circle one or level one is hustle, eat ramen, you know, grind, hate yeah. your life, yeah. turn off everybody else, get rid of everybody in your life. And then you achieve, maybe you achieve something, but then you're lonely at the top. Yeah, you're unhappy. Like Brian Tracy yeah. says, like, if you're lonely at the top, you did it wrong. Right. <laughs> right? Like, and so you have two choices here. Are you going to grind it out and hustle it out in a way you compromise your health, your well-being and your overall life to have some external measure of success? that you bought this thing, did this thing, or achieved that thing? Or are you going to really appreciate life and feel life and have a sense of fulfillment as you strive? I always tell people, I'm like, you can totally strive satisfied. Right. You know, what I tell people most of the time when they're high performers or want to be one, I say, look, achievement isn't really your problem. Hard work is not your problem. Like effort isn't your problem. Achievement is not the problem. Alignment is the problem. Alignment Most with. people's lives aren't aligned. Like their efforts, their, what they say, what they do, they're lacking a sense of congruence in self. And in all the projects that they're doing, it's so unaligned, it doesn't know. I always tell people like, hey, if the universe isn't giving you what you want, perhaps it's just because based on all your distractions, it's simply unclear what you're asking for, dude. <laughs> you know, It's like, if you're doing everything, the universe is like, I don't get what you want. And so you're out of alignment. A lot of those folks who you mentioned will say, just focus on this one thing, grind, 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 grind. But I also, you know, I'm the kid who had a car accident when he was 19. Mm -hmm. And I didn't like my life before. I had the accident and got the gift at 19 of what I call mortality motivation. And I feel like if you have reverence for life, if you really appreciate life, you are not a hustler, you're not a grinder, you're not a, you know, get rid of everybody else in your life. You're like, I actually want to have a high quality of life in every little area that I can 
because tomorrow's not guaranteed. Now there's next week or next month. You know, I lost my dad um, when I was 32. Dad was 69. He got acute myeloid leukemia and went in the hospital one day, happened to be Mother's Day, and his back hurt. And when he went in and got tested, they said, that's weird, your spleen is enlarged. Ran a bunch of tests, found out he had AML, leukemia, and they gave him seven days. Wow. The week before he's golfing, the week before he's playing bowling, he's, you know, been a great father. And it's like, what if you get that seven day diagnosis? Are you gonna be like, you know, I'm glad I spent 10 years gritting it out. And I have, what do you have a show for? A bank account? Because that's not gonna show up at your deathbed. Because when my pops, you know, he, he was a Marine, mm-hmm. so he made it. 59 days. They give him seven. But you can't, you can't tell a Marine when he's going to die. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's the last person you can tell when you're going to die. So he made it 59 days, not seven. Mm-hmm. And in 59 days, we were there. He was, he had a sense of peace going into the last moments and days of his life that like made it better for us too. Because we're, we're wrecked that we're losing this man who was such a great father. But it's like, he was good with it. Now, if he had done nothing but grind for 10 years at the cost of his relationships, he'd have no one at that bedside. And I think that what people have to do, if you want to become high-performing, and this is not my opinion, this is the ironclad, no questions asked, data points from the world's most successful people. This is the best study that's ever been done on high performers worldwide with the most data points. There is no question that they were able to, in their achievement of long-term success, they achieved positive relationships and positive well-being. It doesn't mean that were there times they compromised. It doesn't mean, it's, you know, one time they got sick or one time, you know, they did, they wrecked a marriage or one time they did this. But over the arc of what they were able to do, the reason they outperformed everybody else is because more often than not, they had a positive support network that they personally created. They intentionally created. They didn't luck out with the community. Mm. They built the community. They didn't like, they, they out sort of, stamina if that's a word. They had more stamina than other people because they took care of themselves. High performers are 46% more likely to work out five days a week than underperformers. If it was 12%, that'd be earth shattering. It's 46% more likely. Now, some of those people that work out is 45 minute walk. Other people, it's like 20 minute hit session or whatever. But the point is they're more actively and intentionally taking care of their personal health and their relationships. And that's what gives them a sense of fulfillment too. Because high performers are statistically happier than underperformers. And that was an interesting thing that I found in Game Changers as well. The people who hit that level and stayed there, and usually to get on Bulletproof Radio, you've done something for a while in order to become the best in your field. They're generally happy. Like They've somehow learned how to do that. And it's that happiness that gives them the power to keep performing well. Because miserable people, you can make a lot of money or something, but you're going to hate your life and you probably won't perform very well. Yeah. So there are rich, unhappy people who probably don't make the bar. That's right. What do you do when you meet a rich, unhappy person like that? What do you tell them first? Uh, it's usually checking the alignment of their life. But okay. it's also, listen, everything, the first habit is seek clarity. And it's our job to always be seeking clarity and asking who am I? Who do I want to be? What skills do I need to develop? What contributions do I want to make that align with my creativity and align with my fulfillment? And it's just a lack of clarity. A lot of people achieve the wrong thing. 
Yeah. A lot of people climb the wrong mountain. They lean the ladder against the wrong building. Like they're high achieving, but they're high achieving towards something that really doesn't fulfill them. Right. And so when I meet somebody who's, you know, a bastard or a jerk or super wealthy and has no friends or doesn't have time for friends, it's because they've never appreciated friends. It's because they've never set an intention to say, you know, I want to be happy in my relationships. And so we make little goals sometimes. It's like, you know what I need you to do? I need you to go hang out with friends twice a month, dude. You're freaking yourself out. You're freaking your family out because you stop being human. Humans need a social dynamic that's fun and spontaneous and real and authentic. And I meet a lot of these super successful people who have nothing but yes men around them, mm-hmm. who have nothing but like, you know, agencies supporting them, doing this and that. And, and they lack dudes. They lack friendships. They lack the gals to go out to lunch with. And it's like, let's get you enjoying life a little bit. It doesn't have to be, I don't need to change you. A lot of people go, I'm going to change their career. Or when I get brought in, usually in a conflict situation, well, you know, they need a major change in their life. Yeah, a lot of people need real friendships. Uh, a lot of people need to get to the gym once in a while. And those things start propping up my ability to be more productive. I'm way more productive when I'm happy. So, so is there a confidence, confidence loop for people like that around <clears throat> building friendships, building a community around them so that they probably don't know how to do it or maybe they just didn't care? But do they have to go out and then do it and fail and then become more confident yeah. and do that? Yeah. So they you actually get, apply that rule yes. even to building their yes. community. Yes. Like people see me on stages and like on my Instagram, they'll see like, I'm talking to 20,000 people in arenas, mm-hmm. right? This year I spoke to 58,471 people Wow. on stages live, right? So I sound like this right now for those who are like, does he sound sick? It's like my voice is just so compromised. Yeah. Um, but I share that because I sucked on stages. I was a terrible speaker. That's hard to believe because I've seen you at your events, other events. Oh. You, you rock it. Seriously. No, yeah, but I sucked. You, I, you, you I, I threw up on the way to my first speech. <laughs> threw up in an alleyway behind the building of the first speech I ever got paid for, 300 bucks. I threw up in the alley. Wow. Um, my first networking event in business, I went through three shirts underneath a suit wow. in like an hour. I was literally just, I was so awkward and I'm still awkward, dude, but I had to do what everyone else has to do. You have to make it a goal to have more friendships. You have to make it a goal to connect with people. I, I said, I, I got to get better with people. So I started reading books on like, how do you listen to people? How do you like interact with people and not be weird? Because I grew up in a very violent place, right? So I was always protected and buttoned up and, you know, just concerned about other people. I had to learn to like, how do I get over my stuff so that I can just be somebody with other people. Have you ever met someone who doesn't have stuff they have to get over? No. <laughs> exactly. Everybody, that's why everyone needs a coach. You know, right. everyone says, what do you do, Brendan? I'm like, well, I'm a writer, but I'm also a certified high-performance coach. So I spend a lot of my time either coaching or training on high-performance. And the only reason people seek that out is because they're like, you know what? There's something blocking me from experiencing that next quality of life that I really want for my family, for myself, for my career. And, and they know it. They're, they're just like, you know, there's something more, as you all say, there's something more in the tank and they know it's there, but they might feel stuck or they might not know how to find it. And so they're seeking clarity. So they come to mm-hmm. us or, you know, they're trying to fix one part of their life. They don't have the energy they want. They're not as productive as they want. They're not as good of a leader. They're lacking the influence that they want. They're not making the money that they want. So there's some kind of part of them that says, you know what? I have the self-awareness and the honesty to say I'm lacking in these areas and I sure like to improve them. And so they seek out personal development. They listen to your podcast, man. Oh. Like they, they're coming here to optimize because they recognize there's a gap. 
Right. And your tools, your habits, your people who come on these things, it's like, oh yeah, that's one new idea. Maybe I can improve my life. In Game Changers, uh, the law where I, I quote your stuff, there's 46 laws that boiled down from all the data from 500 or so episodes of Bulletproof Radio. And it's one that's titled, Never Discover Who You Are. Because mm-hmm. I certainly went out early in life and was like, I'm, I'm gonna make a lot of money, that'll make me happy. I don't wanna ever fail at anything, so I'll you know, run away from failure. Not a good way to succeed, although I did make a lot of money, which then I lost from the same habits. <laughs> Uh, but the idea of like discovering who you are is a big part of kind of pop culture, personal development stuff. Yeah. And in the rule, it's you don't discover who you are, you decide who you are. And that's why your story is a part of that law, mm. uh, along with a couple other people who have different takes on that. But the idea there is, is that you actually go out and do that. And in High Performance Habits, you write about doing it with intention. Yeah. How do you tell people to go about setting an intention that works? I say make it super tactical and real. So I'll ask people all the time, and I encourage anyone to listen to this, do this same thing. Think about like the three words that you would love to be described as, as a human. Like these are your three aspirational identity words, meaning like these three, if, if these three words were on your tombstone and really represented you, you'd be like, oh, I'm so, that word is me. And you felt really great about it. Like think about like make a whole long list Identify the words that you really resonate with at this stage of your life. You're like, these words are important for me to grow into or become, or I admire this about myself, these three words. And then put those three words in your phone as an alarm that goes off three times a day. So when I'm like hanging out with you, literally my phone will buzz and I'll look down, the three words will pop up. And it's like, oh, am I doing that? Right? And it's that regularity. The reason people lack intention is because they do it on January 1st and they forget about it until December right. 31st. And so I've set these reminders that help me stay an intentional person. Some of the reminders are really tactical. Like I have a door frame trigger. Every time I walk through a door, my mind immediately like Pavlovian dog goes, I'm entering this room as a happy man ready to serve. Every door I walk through. Just it's automatic because I told myself that like a million times walking through every door. I'm entering this room a happy man, which means feel happy, Brendan, who's ready to serve. Focus on serving in this room, not on yourself. You're, you're content, Brendan. Take care of the people in this room. If you say that every time you enter a room over a series of years, you become a good person. You become happy. And so those little reminders are, are like hugely important. And tactically, maybe when you look in the mirror, you say something to yourself. Maybe every time you take one action, you say, okay, let me put some self-talk in here. And people, a lot of people like poo-poo self-talk. I'm like, go talk to an Olympian. Go train a high-level person. They have high-level self-talk. Like they have developed with real intention what they say to themselves when they suck. They know what they say to themselves when they're down. They know what they say to themselves when somebody rejects them or judges them. Like really great high-performing people have that self-talk, this a routine, a rhythm, but it's intentional. They said, you know what? Instead of telling myself I'm an idiot, I'm stupid, I, I hate myself, they say, you know what? Focus on what you can learn here. Uh, you know what? Be this kind of person, this situation. And they set intentional goals too. So last piece is, everyone listening, I hope that you'll set a 30-day intentional goal for like every month, on the first of the month, I pick a word that I'm gonna try and live into that month. Like this month's is patience. Mm-hmm. So every day, as I work on my high performance planner, it says patience at the top. And I, I try to be patient that day. Patience has been on mine for like, I don't know, in 15 years doing this, probably like 
30 months. <laughs> You've been waiting a long time for that one? Yeah, I <laughs> know, exactly. I'm still, I'm still working on that one. But I think it's like, it, when I meet people and I say, what's your intention for who you want to be and they don't know, I know they're an underperformer. Wow. When I say, what's your intention for the skills you need to develop to become the person you want to become, and they don't have anything scheduled in the calendar to develop those skills, I know they're an underperformer. What's your intention for going into this next situation? No intention, no high performance. Uh, one of my favorite things about Oprah is when you work with her, every meeting she starts with, she always says, what's our intention for this meeting? She doesn't say, what's the agenda? What's the items? What's the list? She goes, what's our intention for this meeting? She's a pretty high performing person. And I think that's what people need to get is high performers are setting intention more often, using more cues, more reminders, more triggers. Other people do it too, but they do it once in a while. One thing that makes a high performer is this word called consistency. Right. That's it. If you're consistently setting intention and living into it, you will feel congruent. You'll feel like your best self. If you don't, you feel like you're reactive. And when you are reactive, you compare yourself to other people. When you are reactive, your emotions are all over the place. When you're reactive, you're living other people's lives. When you're reactive, you're a lemming. When you're reactive, you're caged in somebody else's perception of yourself. And so it takes intention to really break through tire levels of success. You mentioned something earlier that stood out. You talked about what Olympians and really high performers do when they're rejected. And a new study just came out that I found really fascinating. They created a sense of rejection in a university lab setting when they had people on fMRIs. They're actually scanning their brains. Mm. And what they found was that when people feel the pain of rejection, that the amount of physical violence that they want to inflict on others and the pleasure they get from that increases dramatically. It's terrifying. It's terrifying. And the reason that that happens is that the voice in their head when they felt rejection wasn't one of intention the way you're describing. Yeah. The, the people who actually knew how to manage that didn't actually take on the pain, and then they don't have a desire to actually harm other people. This is kind of a creepy experiment because they could you know, play a really uncomfortable sound at certain volumes, and the more rejected they felt, the more they'd put hammer that they'd thing. hammer the, the people, and then the more their dopamine levels and their their basically their their pleasure oh. signals went up. Like ah, and it's not that they're bad people; it's that this is the human condition unless you have that intention built in. And no one actually feels good after they cause harm to another person. They might feel good while they're doing it, but later it's like, I'm kind of a bad person, aren't I? And they go through that thing. So there, mm. there's great value in doing that because it actually makes you less of an asshole. Yes, right? and, and let me make people feel <laughs> even worse about themselves then. Um, and let me throw a little rejection on people, is that if you feel hurt or surprised or taken aback or you're knocked off your A game because of someone else's judgment or rejection, that's a failure of this thing we called anticipation. Mm -hmm. If you don't anticipate that, of course, you doing anything in the world is going to draw some judgment of some people, and you're knocked off and you're surprised. You, you, you wrote a book and you're surprised you got a one-star review on Amazon. Are you a child? Like, <laughs> I, I literally, I go, listen, after high school, you are not allowed to be surprised by judgment anymore. If you're still surprised in your 30s by judgment of other people, you haven't learned this thing called human behavior. Right. If you're 40 and 50 and still getting knocked off your A game when someone calls you a jerk or says you're stupid or says something else, I'm like, please get therapy. And I don't yeah. mean that in, in a sort of like flippant way. Uh -huh. I think a lot of people generally would benefit a lot from therapy. 
And I'm one of those guys who thinks there's a, I think there's a tremendously bad stigma against therapy. I'm not a therapist. I'm not a psychiatrist or a psychologist or neurologist or anything that ends with ist. But, you know, it's like, I'm like, I tell my audience, you're not allowed to be 40 and still be completely upset that somebody gave you a one-star review or trashed you on the internet because how did you not know that was going to happen? Have you not paid attention to any human behavior? So you have to learn to drive value and feel value and worth in yourself and your own activities and realize that when you ask for things, that bad people might come out and say bad things, but good people will too. I coached a a woman, she was an Olympic sprinter Mm -hmm. and really cool story. She, um, She had won a couple world championships, but never a gold. Right. And I was working with her after she won a gold. And I said, what happened? You had these years, uh, two Olympics, where you didn't like medal. And then you did. What changed? She says, Brendan, I finally decided to start asking and telling people that I wanted a gold medal. Oh, wow. I never verbalized it. I never asked for it. I never pushed for it. And she said, I love this line. She says, I learned that when you shout from the rooftops what you really want in life Will the village idiots come out and scream at you? Yes. But the village leaders will also come out and recognize that ambition and want to provide service. So you'll attract both the people who will judge and be rude, but you'll also attract people who go, hey, um, let me open that door for you. Hey, I know this person. Can I connect that? And we so focus and believe that everyone's going to be the village idiot judging us that we don't go for it without realizing if you don't speak for what you want in life, you won't get it. Because when you start speaking for what you want in life, it attracts and it opens up doors that you could not anticipate because more people are helpful than hurtful. It's that we learned to focus on the hurtful because it hurts so much. And we didn't celebrate the helpful because we took it for granted. What percentage of the population do you think are the village idiots? One out of 100. One out of 100. Yeah. Um, in, they did a, a study, and, I, and I'm not going to get the numbers right, so these are ballpark, but they did a study of number of one-star reviews on Amazon, and uh, what's the, the, you go out to eat, and you look it up on oh, the line, Yelp. Uh, on Yelp. So they did a study, it was those two uh, data points, Amazon and Yelp, one-star reviews versus the higher-star reviews. And it turned out to be the one-star reviews versus the five-star reviews were like one in a thousand. Wow. So overall, it's like one person is going to trash you versus a thousand. But if you don't believe that, here's what I always tell people. I say, okay, let's take a second and let's think about your life. How many people hurt you or rejected you in such a way that it really altered your sense of self? It, it, It really hurt your identity and it like changed how you showed up in the world. Like how many people were like that to you? And I'll ask the audience, I'll say, raise your hand if one person like that ever hurt you in such a way it altered your behavior and who you felt about and how you felt about yourself. Everyone raises their hand. I said, how many, like, could you like easily think of like three people really hurt you in that way? Not like, hey, I don't like your hair or your shoes stuff, but like actually harmed your identity. And I'll ask that. How many, three people? Bunch of people raised their hand. How many of you, if I sat down with you at lunch, seven people? And I'll just keep asking that. I'll elevate it up to like, how many, 15 people, 20 people? I've asked this on eight different continents. You know what the answer is? Eight different continents, seven different continents. <laughs> I was like, wait, was there an eighth one? Mars. On seven, I have, I've, I've overly traveled the last two years. I need some bulletproof coffee right now. Um, and here's the universal. 
It's about five to seven people in your past, and this is worldwide, about five to seven people in your past hurt your identity in such a way that it really impacted how you feel about yourself and the direction of your life or behavior. So why does that matter? Then I ask, okay, I say, I know enough kind of downer questions, y'all. Let me ask a different question. How many of you have met with, interacted, known, talked with 50 people who were cool with you, let you do your own thing, didn't bug you, didn't bother you? Everyone raised their hand. How many of you have met with, known, interact with, worked with, went to school with 100 people? Everyone raised their hand. Goes all the way up to 1,000 people. Most adults have met 1,000 people who were fine and cool with them, didn't bother them, didn't judge them, didn't crap talk them. And I say, so here's the deal. If you're still driving your life based on fear of rejection or judgment, you're aiming at these maybe five to seven people, maybe 10 people, even let's double it, 20 horrible people. You're guiding your life based off of trying to like, Drive down the whole, drive down the road to avoid these potholes of these twenty people, and that's directing. You're going to run off the road. Like what you have to realize is most people were great, and if you really thought about it, if you had a thousand people who supported you, believed in you, didn't bother you, didn't mind what you're doing, let you do your own thing, those thousand people, if they're the wind against your back, you could storm these ten idiots. <laughs> you know, yeah. so it's like the yeah. math, guys. The math rejection doesn't happen that often. We think it happens way more than it does because it's painful. But once you can anticipate like, okay, it's going to happen, but not the majority. The more you're to be fine with me, you're more confident. There are studies out there that show four to five percent of the population either is sociopathic or psychopathic, Mm. right? And so maybe it's one in 20 and not all of them are going to be acting out online. But when they do act out online, one person might do a thousand posts of, you know, just, just angry running around, just spreading shit everywhere. Yes. Right? So you see those and they they appear to be a great percentage where most people don't say anything, but they're listening to what you have to say. They're doing whatever it is. And so our view on that is really stilted. I'm I'm sure you've had to deal with that as you're growing your business. I certainly did. Where people come out of the woodwork and you're like, where did that come from? Yeah. And I I have this this word I like to use um, called garbage heart. And I actually think we're all wired, probably even the sociopaths and psychopaths, although I don't really know. I haven't studied them that well. Um, that we're all wired to actually be kind to each other. Like, it's a basic yes, human thing. No question. And, but when you have a bunch of garbage around you, because other people were mean to you, usually when you were a kid, so now you're all defended, now you feel like you have to act like a jerk and put people down and all that stuff to make up for whatever bad stuff happened to you from your parents or whatever. It doesn't really matter. Some old traumas, that you build up this garbage around you, and if you clean off the garbage, all of a sudden you're like, oh, it's actually less painful to me to be nice to other people. Yes. Maybe I'll quit being a troll. Yes. Right? But in, in the meantime the data shows that those people who are skeptics actually have a much higher incidence of overall mortality. Like they die of all causes more quickly. (laughs) So you and I can relax that if they don't clear the garbage, hey, they get what's coming to them. We don't have to do it, right? (laughs) Right, maybe they won't be here as long. But you know, uh, we did a a research study with High Performance Institute that found about 20% of people sort of enacted bullying behavior in the last 30 to 60 days. Yeah, 20% of people. And I'm like, people go, oh, that's terrible. I'm like, that's hopeful. Yeah. That means 80%, like when I walk out the door, I'm like 80% of people are gonna be cool. I'm stoked for the day. Do you know how many people got through high school without being bullied? Yeah. A lot more, or a lot less than that, that 20% number you just talked about. Right. Or 40%, I forget what it was. But, but most people got bullied and can be reactive to it, but a lot of them aren't reacting to it anymore. So there you go. Yeah. Like we're improving as a species, which makes me feel pretty good about it. Yeah, and the funny thing about uh, one of the studies that we did that we found, it's the sixth habit in the book, and it's about courage. Yep. And people think courage is like this big dramatic thing. And we found out like 
Courage means two things when it relates to your performance overall in your career or your life. First, it means you speak up for yourself and your ideas and your thoughts consistently, even when it's a little uncomfortable, right? So Mm -hmm. you share your idea in the meeting, even though it's it's a little weird, but you share it more often than underperformers. Underperformers, they're suffering in silence. Right. High performers, they'll share it, even though it's awkward and weird. Like, that's my whole career. (laughs) I'm like, (laughs) a little awkward right now because we're on camera. I love you. I want to do a good job for Dan. Oh, my God. Um, But it's like, I'll try. Yeah. You know? And so the first element is you speak up consistently and often about what you want, what you feel, what you desire, even if it's a little awkward and uncomfortable. But the second thing that gave me so much hope was that courage cannot be defined unless you also speak up for other people. Interesting that the most courageous people in the world who, and we can tie it to their success, whether it's their income level or other external measures of success that they've defined as important, whether that is their health or their promotion level or their business size or whatever their aspiration is. What's unbelievable about it is they also all agreed to the statement that I will speak up for somebody if they're being put down in a meeting. Yeah. I will speak up for somebody if four or five people are saying negative things. Like they tend to do that more. And I think that's such a beautiful human piece of courage. We think of courage as just like, you know, someone who's able to go crush goals, but it turns out real courage is like, you'll speak up for yourself and other people. And that gives me a lot of hope. And it's a simple thing. And so I tell people, I go, here's the test. Do the people around you, your spouse, your family, your friends, your team, do they really know what you want? Do they really know what you're thinking? Have you actually shared where you're at now at this stage of your life? And if you haven't, I hope you'll read High Performance Habits. I hope you'll kind of get a sense that like, oh, that that's actually important for me to share because that's actually tied to my productivity. It's yeah. actually tied to my income and it's actually tied to my happiness. Like we can correlate all those things based on that simple question. So I encourage anyone listening is like, have that talk with your spouse and let them know where you're at and what you want. Have that talk with the boss, even though it's uncomfortable and awkward and weird, because that's real courage. And you don't want to die going, I was too scared to talk to that person and ask for what I wanted. It's, it's powerful advice. And it's one of the reasons that I asked you after you read Game Changers to come up with yeah. a 47th, a secret law, and actually to write that law. And I'm going to be giving that away to people uh, just on social media who send a picture of themselves with a book or their Amazon code or whatever, just, DM, it. just DM it to me. Yes. And I'm going to send you Brendan's secret law because, like I said at the beginning of the show, you know, we're, we're actually friends. You know, we, we get to hang out, we have dinner together, and it, it's always fun. And I've never eaten anything but sushi with you. Do you know that? It's a fair point. We always <laughs> have sushi. I, I, don't, I don't know why. I, not, but uh, I, I do want to tap into that because you've spent so much time studying this stuff that I wanted your take on if I didn't hit one of these things as yes. a fount of knowledge because of what you've done in your body of research on high-performance habits, like there's got to be some stuff missing. Yes. I want you to dial in the single most important thing that you would have put in this book and offer that to people as well because um, having read high-performance habits, it's a worthy work. And so much of medicine, even business, it's all about fixing what's broken. Mm-hmm. So most of what we've done in neurology hey, that person has seizures. My mom had epilepsy. Uh, she, she had brain surgery for it. She's been on drugs for a long time. Seizures really matter, and fixing yeah. that is important. However, we put 99% of our medical resources towards fixing those problems. Yes. Instead of saying, this is, this is an average brain, how do we make it 
not average. Yes. In fact, one of the laws in Game Changers is average is the enemy. You do not want to be normal. Right. It's the worst thing you could ever be. <laughs> it's very right? true. You want to be really, really good at something. And it might be different than what someone else is good at. But if you're exceptional here, and even if you suck at everything else, there's someone who doesn't suck at those things who will be happy to do them. Yes. And you can focus on this. And that kind of thing has been missing from a lot of even psychology. And what you've done with High Performance Habits and what I've done with all these structured interviews uh, at the end of Bulletproof Radio, just how do we get the data to yes. see what's different about people who are not normal, but not normal in the, the positive direction. So thank you for your work. Thank you for doing this level of, of intense inquiry into the abnormal, the positive <laughs> abnormal. Yes, it, it hurt. It was not something I was honestly prepared to do. Um, I wanted to do it. I didn't realize the, the diligence and the difficulty in actually proving things out at that level where, you know, academics can go, yep, he did it right. That was really difficult. But I also think you and I really are interested in that more positive thing, not just what's wrong with people, because that's what psychology did for 50 years. Now we have the positive psychology movement asking what's right with people, not just what's wrong with them is really, really important. One thing I think the book kind of takes on in that vein that just crushes is this conversation about like strengths and weaknesses. And you and I have a similar vibe about that thing. Um, I think in general, the big strengths movement is lacking yep. because what it tells you to do is just do things you're strong at and that you innately enjoy and that you're naturally good at. And I'm like, that's important. And that will get you to good. Mm -hmm. But what will you get you to extraordinary, which is what I'm trying to focus on is asking and said, what am I, instead like high performers don't necessarily say just what am I good at? They ask this question, what is necessary for me to understand and master to achieve that purpose? Right. Like for me, I couldn't write, couldn't speak, uh, was weird on stage, um, had never done a video. Uh, I just like anyone else turned on the first video camera and whenever I had to look at it, I was like, you know, could, I was like, hi, I'm Ben Richard. Hi, I'm Ben Richard. I couldn't even introduce myself and right. be authentic because it was so weird and awkward. But I was like, oh, I need to learn to do that. I wasn't good at leading a team. I'm like, I need to learn how to do that. Those weren't innate things that I was naturally good at. I wasn't innately put on a stage and did good at it. It was like, that is a skill that is critical to my long-term development and the achievement of the purpose that I desire. And so we have to go beyond even our strengths and ask what's necessary for me to, what, what, what is it necessary for me to become yeah. or who is it necessary for me to become to achieve the purpose I want? And that's a very different way of looking at life than just saying, what do I suck at fix? What am I good at do more of? It's like, no, because sometimes what you're good at isn't what is necessary in the situation. You have to grow in the situation. Like a lot of Olympic athletes know this too. Their natural strength, you know, coming down that last 200 meters doesn't matter. It's yep. do you master the last 200 meters and win or not? Right. That said, an athlete realizes they're exceptionally strong in the first half of a 400 meter race. They take advantage right? of it. They're going to train the shit out of yes. that. And they're going to be the fastest in the world yes. there. And they're, they realize my natural strength isn't this end. So I'm going to become as good at that as I can. Yes. But knowing full well that that an ounce of energy put into that last 200 meters will not provide the return on investment of becoming truly awesome at the beginning. Yeah. And it's that allocation of resources. Yes. Where I mean, it's parts, not saying one or the other. It's knowing what's necessary to yeah, win. Exactly. That's all that matters for people to like recalibrate around this whole strengths weakness conversation. And I like it because I feel like your book rounds out in a different way, 
what I was going for. Yeah. And, and, but I, it's that holistic conversation. It's like, the question is, if you're trying to win at this, what is it necessary for you to become or master to do it? And obviously always start with your strengths, always develop your strengths. But listen, it, it, like you can build the greatest ship in the world, but if there's a hole in it, that thing's sinking. That is so exactly we need right. to know where our holes are and get better at it. But I think that's the whole reason you became like Dave is because you were like, you know what? I, I want to be able to inspire people in this way. Oh yeah. So I, I'm, I'm going to, you know, change my learning. physical body. I'm going to learn to master these, you know, all these different supplements. I'm going to learn how to optimize myself was not just to fix a problem always, not just to do it because you were naturally good at it. Cause you're like, that's what's required to have a good life, man. Oh yeah. No, I didn't know how to do business networking. Same thing. First time I went on stage, I have no <sighs> idea what I said. I was too terrified. Yeah. And eventually you figure it out and you realize maybe you actually are good at that, but you have to get enough competence to know whether that's your gift because yeah, you're not going to know. It's just, it's an unknown until you've tried it a few times. Yes. Right? But, but in, in our work, I mean, we talk about how people can, can rock and roll at what they do. But there's two other parts to that. There's the sex and the drugs that goes with the rock and roll. Yeah, that's right. Now, in, <laughs> in Game Changers, I, I'm straight up, hey, if you're not paying attention to sex in your life, yes. you're actually not going to perform at the other stuff that has nothing to do with the bedroom if this is lacking or you're not getting the right energy. That Says the guy who came to my High Performance Academy event, stood on stage in front of my 2,000 people and said, hey guys, here's what I want you to do. Don't masturbate. For the next 30 days. Like, I don't want you to, no sex for you the next 30 days. It'll really optimize and change your brain. And I was like, oh my gosh, did he just say that on my stage? <laughs> you told um, me to bring it, man. No, I, but that's what I love is because like, at the end of the day, that's an area that most people don't experiment in. And I'm not saying just, you know, that type of thing, but it's like in their personal life with people, they don't try to understand those, those lines of intimacy, those depth, I should say, those depths of intimacy. They like... They, because they're not appreciating that depth of intimacy they can have in the most intimate relationship in the, that they could have in the world, in the bedroom. Then in real life, in the meeting, no wonder, like no one can connect with them. It's not an intimacy thing they need to bring to the boardroom, but if they don't in the bedroom allow themselves to open and feel, yeah. they're not gonna do it in other areas of their life because that's the microcosm of the macrocosm. And I think a lot of people, they fear intimacy in every area of life. And that's why they don't have friends. It's why they don't have the marriage or the spouse or the partner that they wanted because they took what they got and what they were comfortable with versus asking what should love and life feel like. It's, it's just way too easy to lock yourself in a bedroom, uh, play video games all day and just kind of become a shut-in and, yeah. and just never authentically connect with people. And we're seeing epidemics of that yeah. uh, amongst kids. I mean, Japan was maybe the first country to have that problem. And the people that you've interviewed for your book, the people I interview, they figured that out. Yeah. They, they've learned how to have that intimacy in their life. And I'm like, I, I'm just going to call it like I see it here and say, this matters. It's a variable that you can track and can pay attention to. And we've got a, another discussion around people are microdosing LSD. They're doing ayahuasca with shamans. And mm -hmm. I, I did that 20, almost 25 years ago in Peru before it was cool. And when I talk with, I talk with Jack Canfield, a, a mutual friend, uh, just a couple days ago when I interviewed him uh, uh, for a different episode of the show. And I, I didn't think he'd say this. I said, well, how did you learn how to you know, get this awareness? He goes, oh, when I was 29, I, I did LSD. I'm like, did, <laughs> yes. did Jack Canfield just say this? You know, he did. Yes, and, he and so I'm not saying people listening need to go out and do that. In fact, there's lots of ways you can get outside yourself in order to have that awareness without using any of that kind of stuff. Yes. 
what did you do first, other than a terrible car accident, which may be your answer, yeah. but to get outside yourself and get that perspective? Yeah. Man, I'm such a dork, and I wish I had a, a, a smooth or cool answer. I read books. Nice. Okay, so you just went deep on I, books. I read everything I could in psychology and personal development and neuroscience. I read a book a week for 22 years. This is my 20, I'm coming up on my 23rd year, a book a week. Um, because I, I was fascinated by other people's perspectives. So that was one, was learning just, to, awareness comes sometimes with exposure. Awareness actually comes with perspective. Second thing I did was meditation. Okay, so meditation. I, I do the release meditation technique. People can type it in YouTube, release meditation technique, where I release the tension in my body and release the thoughts in my mind with a mantra. And that is 20 minutes a day for 14 years, I think. Wow, okay. um, 20 minutes total a day. Uh, and that, that's been huge for me. Um, and then it's the funny answer is I'm very clean in my life. I eat clean, I drink clean, I take care of myself trying to create a, a clean ecosystem. And because of that, anything that I take is mind-altering. Like if I take, you know, a, a, a terapack of, of bulletproof coffee, yeah. I am going to lift this building up and <laughs> hurl it back to Vancouver. Like it's just gonna, it's, it's like, it's like, yeah. it will, like if, if you cut my arm off and give me two Advil, it will grow back. Cause I'm so, so for me, everything is mind altering. Like take me to dinner, give me three glasses of wine. It's a party. Right. I mean, the, the, the roof is getting torn off. So I think part of the mind altering is easy for me to achieve because I'm not like dirty inside, if that yeah. makes sense. It's like, I think a lot of people, they can't achieve a clean awareness. Right. So they have to do something that's totally disruptive or they haven't done the work. You know, I was blessed now twice to be with the Dalai Lama. And I mean, it's real. He comes in a room, there is a spiritual shift in the room because he's so happy, but he also meditates four to five hours a day. Yeah. He prays hours a day. He takes, he's thinking all day of service. Like that's a different mindset thing that gives him access to a higher level of consciousness. Because the lowest level of consciousness is usually self and survival. Yep. And the highest level of consciousness comes from asking the harder questions about the meaning of life and about service to other people. And so I think consciousness isn't just a, like, is my mind altered and are amazing whiz-bang colors happening? It's also like the deep reflection of why we are here. And sometimes that gate opens for people with a drug. And some people it opens after years or trauma or difficulties like, and I'm just that guy who always goes, man, whatever floats your boat and gets you into a place where you're happy in your life, try to do that well. Beautiful. Brendan, I'm not gonna ask you that final question that I've asked most people, A, because I've already asked you in the other two <laughs> interviews you've done, yeah. and B, because you're writing another law for game changers. Yes. And people who would like to get that DM me on Instagram, dave.asprey, a picture of yourself with the book, your Amazon code, whatever. Show me that you've got the book, and I will send you a link to get the law, the secret law that no one else has that Brendan is, is putting together for us. That will tell you why your career doesn't progress as fast as you want. That will tell you why sometimes that connection with your spouse, your partner isn't there. That will tell you why so many days you have like a little bit of lack of like focus, so you become like lost or moody throughout the day. That's one law that I'm gonna give to your audience and that's what it's gonna give them. So I hope they'll DM a picture of Game Changers too because I, I, I actually want them to have that. And, and by the way, if you wanted to DM a picture of yourself with high performance habits, Brendan's book, 
Show me that you read the book. I'll send you the law too, with your permission. Nice, yeah, do it. Yeah, I'm, you. I'm telling you, Brendan's book is worth reading. High Performance Habits. It's uh, it is a, a profoundly good read. It is not 100% overlap with Game Changers. We have different ways of thinking, different words. You will pick up really good stuff from both books. I learned from High Performance Habits. Worth reading. And Brendan, just again, man, your work rocks the world, and I appreciate you. Thanks for having me, buddy. The Human Upgrade, formerly Bulletproof Radio, was created and is hosted by Dave Asprey. The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended for the purposes of diagnosing, treating, curing, or preventing any disease. Before using any products referenced on the podcast, consult with your healthcare provider, carefully read all labels, and heed all directions and cautions that accompany the products. Information found or received through the podcast should not be used in place of a consultation or advice from a healthcare provider. If you suspect you have a medical problem or should you have any healthcare questions, please promptly call or see your healthcare provider. This podcast, including Dave Asprey and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. This podcast is owned by Bulletproof Media.